podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. My name is Enda. Alan Morrison is with us. The Axon members will be well aware of who he is at this point, but he runs a website called Celtic by Numbers and I'm joined by Juco James as well, uh, who does a lot of analytics work on his Twitter page and he is a regular contributor to our podcast, The Huddle Breakdown. I'm sure a lot of us already know our podcast, but um, if, you, if you're not aware of us, we are called The Huddle Breakdown and we do some analytics work across uh, Celtics matches across the season. We're here with Axum for this charity weekender. As always, um, the link is in the comment section below if you want to donate to uh, Jimmy Tierney's uh, battle with um, a muscular dys- uh, dystrophia. It's a really good cause, so do get involved in the uh, GoFundMe that's going on for this weekender. Now... What we usually do for this weekend or special broadcast, guys, is we usually have a special. We usually like do a deep dive on the defensive issues or why our strike partnerships are working so well. But um, I don't think we can do that this this year because we're off the back of a 2-0 defeat to Hearts at home and Celtic have all but tossed away an eight-point lead um, to Rangers in the league title, depending on how things go. And uh, James... I know it's early with you. There's nothing that gets the juices flowing uh, than trying to figure out what the hell happened at Celtic Park yesterday. Oh, it was a good one, wasn't it? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm uh, in honor of um, today's cup final. I'm wearing a jersey that my mother-in-law just gave me recently. It's a Peruvian national jersey. Uh, I still have, I just pulled the tag off of it. It was... Uh, 215.92 Peruvian soles, if anyone wants to check what that means in, in dollars or sterling. But um, so I, got, I don't have much in red. So I was like, uh, you know, I'll throw this on. Um, so I, it was, uh, and it, I, I wanted to, because it's not a hard jersey. I just want to clarify that uh, given yesterday. <laughs> um, so it was, and I'm colorblind, so I don't know if it's close on the red scale or not. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I think it was more of the same. I I, I don't think uh, I think the emotional uh, fan wave crested. It seems yesterday, <laughs> and in the aftermath, um, and you know, there's some nuances that are maybe a little bit different. But generally speaking, the performance level was kind of in line with what we've been seeing most of the season, um, if actually not maybe a little bit better um, outside of the two events, which again, in a one-off game. <laughs> Two, two goals is the problem. Um, but but overall, uh, the, the level of play, I thought, was not great, obviously, but not all that much different than than what we've been seeing. And that comes back to what we've been talking about on our shows really since the beginning of the season, which is how do you assess and attribute why we're not playing well? And, or why aren't we playing up to levels that most of us have as a reference, which is last season and, and, and Ange's tenure? most um uh recently and then um you know even in better seasons under Rod- Rogers first tenure um 
so yeah, we can get into that. And, you know, people that watch our show or listen to our show probably have heard some of this before, but um, a lot of it's kind of echoing with um, what we've been talking a lot about. Yeah. Uh, Alan, it, it feels like a corner has been turned. I don't think you can uh, really say a corner hasn't been turned when Santa Claus is getting booed at halftime. Uh, like that's that's <laughs> the extent that we're, we're reaching now. That uh, Who are these are, Who are these a-holes? Are they from Philadelphia booing Santa for, Claus? I mean, that, yeah, that's our, I'm, I live in I live in Pennsylvania. That's supposed to be <laughs> our our gig. Yeah. Santa, Santa's not the one not sticking the ball in the net, Alan, but like I think that goes to show where uh, the atmosphere is at the minute uh, with how Celtic are playing. Yeah, I mean, uh, as James says, I think everybody's, I mean, there isn't, is there such a thing as a, as a collective Celtic? Uh, you know, what, uh, the reason I say that is uh, where, where I'm going with this, and I, I listen, I think you want to talk about the game for us, so I will, but um, just to say, uh, the online reaction, the remarkable things about it is that, you know, the Celtic support often, in fact, mainly doesn't have a great deal of unanimity about uh, how it's feeling. But I, I do sense a, a, a certain level of unanimity. And what, and what debate uh, and uncertainty there is, I think, reflects, it's reflected in, our, in, our, in ourselves in that, you know, I know, Enda, you, you, you probably attribute a lot of this on Brendan Rodgers, and I probably attribute slightly less. So I wouldn't get into all that as well. But generally speaking, um, there seems to be a, a, a unanimity. And, and it's almost like people have collectively remembered what happened in 20, you know, 21 and the run-up to that season. And, you know, the, the, that two years of being wowed by the cult of Ange um who who knew players and markets we'd never thought of looking in and who came with a super agent mentor that got those deals done that warm glow has now passed and we're now slowly realizing that beyond that nothing has actually changed and in terms of football well you know this was a classic game where um and, and this is really J- james's really but you know we talk about risk all the time um and at the moment in every game we go into we're layering risk upon risk upon risk upon risk upon risk now sometimes as happened in midweek against Feyenoord very few of those risks manifest or if they do like I don't know when Welsh and McGregor couldn't talk to each other and the ball fell to Stengs and he just couldn't get his foot to it and it went through to Hart or when Scales got away with falling asleep and the ball going over his head or 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 you know Feyenoord had a ton of shots but they were all within Hart's diminishing frame of what he can actually get to these days so it was fine right just as examples and and we won two one and it's all good. But just as likely, just as likely, is that one or many of the risks that we've layered upon our, ourselves as far as our, our team will manifest. And on yesterday, that was, that's what happened. And when that happens, you, the more you're, you're, you're more than likely going to lose. You know, you're, you're, suddenly it makes a difference that your left back is getting bullied off the ball and you're conceding throw-in and throw-ins and corners against a team that just wants to spend 20 minutes preparing for that and then you know you can't then defend it you know it matters that Joe Hart cannot get 
to a, a ball, even when it's you know forty yards away when it was kicked, it suddenly you know is manifest that the, the absolutely dire wing play that we've seen all season um, you know, it, 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 it isn't going to dig us out of a hole, and therefore the striker is utterly isolated and looking increasingly unhappy and frustrated, and increasingly indisciplined in his own game as he tries to do something about it, and that you know a very average bunch of footballers uh, are still looking slightly more athletic in midfield than samples. I could go on and I'm not, and on and on and on actually, but all these risks manifest themselves at different times during different games. And sometimes many of them manifest themselves in the same game. And, that, and when it, when they do, then the risk of losing is pretty high. Actually, so, um, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise, as James said, and we're not being smart about this. I think we've just collectively forgotten that a lot of what's wrong with our club hasn't hasn't changed and in, in, in fundamentally, inherently hasn't changed despite the, the two years of the cult of Ange. Well, let's dig into the Brendan Rodgers debate because I think that is one that has definitely reared his head after the last two games in the league. He said after the game yesterday that when he was asked, was he surprised by the performance? Was he surprised by the attitude? He said he wasn't really surprised, you know, and he said that, um, again, it was sort of rehashing what he said before previously this season already is that like that some of the players haven't shown the personality needed to play at Celtic. By that, I guess he means the mentality, the winning mentality. Um, But... At some point, and this is where I come in on the Brendan Rodgers situation, it's not that I am blindly uh, like unaware of the situation in the boardroom, the lack of quality coming in the transfer window, but where I come in with the Brendan Rodgers situation is that off the start in 11 yesterday, and yes, I know it's a big thing to lose Hatate to injury, it's a big thing to not have Jota, it's a big thing not to have Abada, but off the start in 11 yesterday, Hart, Johnson... Cameron Carter-Vickers, Greg Taylor, Cal McGregor, Matt O'Reilly, Kyogo, and Maeda, who came off the bench, they were all regulars in a treble winning side last season and had won the league the year previously to that and were a much better team, a much better team. So where I come in in the Brendan Rodgers situation is, yes, we didn't get enough quality in to replace Jota. Yes, we did not make enough quality signings to progress in Europe like we would have hoped but there was not enough quality gone from the team, in my opinion, to regress as far as we have. As opposed to progressing, we have regressed massively. And under Brennan Rodgers, the only player who, out of those players that I've mentioned who's gotten any better or even remained at the level he was playing at is Matt O'Reilly. So there needs to be some sort of manager blame here as well because it's it's almost the end of December. We're getting into the hardest part of the the uh, the season because you have so many games coming up. At what point in time does Brendan Rodgers take some responsibility for the fact that these players don't have the mentality to go out and perform the, is the way that is needed for a Celtic team? Because they had the mentality last year. A lot of them did. 80% of the team did. So why under Brendan Rodgers, James, do we think that this team don't have the mentality to do it? This uh, falls back to the primary reason that I tried to come up with a um, relatively robust, what I call a performance attribution framework, 
And I, it's going to sound nerdy, and I apologize, but I mean that's what we do on this show. So just people watching are just going to have to live with it. Um, uh, spreadsheet chagger, br- spreadsheet chagging. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and so the reason why, so and this goes back to when I kind of started first started doing this stuff and uh, with intensity, shall we say, uh, in advance of the ten in a row season, because m- my sense was that the decision makers at Celtic, in particular who are really a reflection of, of not only Celtic fan culture, but also kind of um, Scottish football culture, and which is reflective of UK culture, which is reflective of global football culture as a sport, is th- that there's an overweighting of um, qualitative factors like leadership and mentality. Not that these things aren't important. Of course, they're important on the margins. Um, but things like talent level are exponentially more important and, um, how you spend your, your resources to recruit and develop players is more important. And one of the fundamental problems that I think, uh, on an attribution basis that Celtic have struggled with really since 2012 is how much of the domestic success was driven by effectively being a one league team um, versus leadership or knowing how to win and all these other things. And so what I, what I did is come up with, you know, or attempt to come up with a, a, an attribution model and I've shared it on our show, um, written about it, but what, what that informed me last season, for example, and really the, the tenure under Ange was that his style of play domestically, meaning that Ange has a very specific style of play. The people in the English Premier League and Tottenham supporters have been learning that this season that we learned um, in his two-season tenure is that it's so um, nuanced and specific that it comes with positives and negatives, but that the positives were so skewed to cripple uh, domestic opposition given the disparity in resources, I mean, that we spend a lot more than the vast majority of the league, all but one other team, that they just couldn't cope with it. Um, and the irony of it is that we were such a kind of berserk attacking side that it was, it made other teams unable to attack in response. I mean, they got so pinned back and we were so dominant in this kind of frenzied Ange ball that the amount of chances that they got going the other way was like, almost non-existent, particularly from open play. But the flip side of that was that when we got into Europe and he played the same way, whether it was Bodo Glimt at that level or, you know, uh, what we saw in um, the Europa League and then in the Champions League in the one campaign is that as long as we kind of competed for a while, we were fine. And then we just, and then the, the dam would give way and we'd get annihilated. Right. And, and so it was this weird uh, dichotomy in this very specific style. And what I thought was happening as a, re- a re- result of this is that the quality of recruitment was being misattributed, meaning that the level of the players that recruit, like I think a, a good example of this one we've talked about on our show is Alistair Johnston. Like if you look at the profile of Alistair Johnston, he's an, he's a fine player, but he was, a, you know, for a couple of million playing in the MLS and he wasn't 19 or 20 when we recruited him or bought him like he was going to go into some huge development as, as he got older. Uh, he's kind of a middle-aged footballer in these modern times who's a decent player, but you would have thought, you know, amongst the support 
last season that he was one of the great footballers when we were going to sell him for like 20 million because of how well he was playing. So how much of it was system competitive dynamics relative to the opposition and how much of it was player driven? So long-winded way of saying, I think that that misattribution we're now suffering from again, just like we did in this 2020-2021 season, where actually we had a lot of talent, a lot more, I would argue, much more talent that we have right now. Um, so I think our fundamental problem is that our talent level has come, come down in a way that's really incredible <laughs> um, relative to even Rogers' first tenure, really any Celtic side since Ronnie Dyla. And even then, I would argue, we're probably down in total talent. Um, and that, yes, there's reasonable debate to be had as far as some of the tactical decisions, some of the selection decisions that Rodgers have been making, making, but those all matter exponentially more once the talent levels compress. Because if you watch some of the, you know, a lot of these games, you look at our players versus, you know, the athletic profile, the speed, um, even the technical ability, you know, Maeda going 1v1 against a fullback in the SPFL, you know, his skill level is not such doing that job that you're like, oh, he's going to like just dominate this uh, fullback from from Aberdeen or even Hearts um, in that regard. So there's, you know, just there's a lot of this, I think, that's being misattributed. And I think because of some of the baggage with Rogers return, now that tide is cresting. Mm. Um, so it's not that he doesn't have a role to play. It's just I think it's being fundamentally misattributed as far as the scale of it and so and agree he may i would argue he's probably and i'm not in the dressing room obviously uh, and i i wouldn't be surprised if some of that i mean when you're not doing well as a team people start blaming each other you know that that's when people get stress tests when everyone's winning like you can have the biggest a-holes in the world in your locker room and everything tends to be okay it papers over a lot um so it wouldn't be surprising if there's some Issues you got players that are late in contracts like Turnbull that might be looking at the next job opportunity, you know that kind of stuff. But um, to me, it's fundamentally a, a talent issue. Well, we sort of see these issues with um, systematic managers like and if you like, I think the Red Bull situation is the best example of this because you've got Red Bull managers who are, you know, go through the systems in New York to Salzburg, then to Leipzig is the big, the big job, the big pro progression. And then they go somewhere like the Premier League where they don't have all the resources and systems in place. And suddenly they look like a really bang average manager. I think that's what you sort of see with the players who grew up in these systems as well. Like some of the Celtic players last year, and under and, and the year before under Ange, I, I think most people knew they were probably a little bit average, but the system was so good that they look really good. And you see that with the likes of, you know, Brighton under Graham Potter, uh, Brighton under Deserby. Now, there are a lot of players that you would have said they're actually quite average, but under the system, they're doing exceptionally well like pascal gross got a call up to the german national team as a result of his uh brighton form but like you know that's what you're saying so but alan what that tells me though is that Ange's system is better than brendan rogers Ange's man management is better than brendan rogers currently has been because for for me i like i'm not mad at him for not getting the best out of palma or kwan 
or like why is Burnaby still on the bench? You know, uh, why is Mikey Johnson not tearing it up down the right wing? Now I'm not mad at him over that stuff. I'm mad at him over the fact that like we spoke about this in our WhatsApp group yesterday when Celtic attacked, you just don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. Like they're, they're as well as the players that were brought in not being to the quality, I don't understand what Brendan Rodgers wants his team to do. And that is the frightening aspect of it. Yeah, so, so listen, I mean, you know, uh, this, is, this isn't easy, is it? <laughs> yeah, this isn't easy. And actually, to your point, um, just to knit some of the conversation together a little bit as well, is that, yeah, you might argue, well, there's eight players that were the same as last season, but um, systems and cohesion is incredibly fragile. And so, you know, it doesn't take a lot for that to fall down. So, you know, and and in terms of attribution, um, all of the things we've talked about can be true. Um, I think all we're debating is the percentage attribution to each thing, right? That's really really what it comes down to. Um, And and you probably give put a little bit more on Roger's plate than I do, but I suspect we're talking about a few percentage points here. Um, And and listen, what is, you know, inescapable is that after nearly six months, um, you know, if you recall back to when Ange joined and and, and was in, in, a, in a worse state than now, there was probably more talent in the building, but a lot of it didn't want to be there, unfortunately. So, you know, they eventually left. Um, you know, if you remember, I was very sanguine. I went on to Axom. Some people were absolutely losing their losing their shit, as the kids say. In terms of, they were, all, they were, they were, you know, they were, they were, they were calling for Ange's head after like six games, and I was very sad because they said to me, and my eyes told me that I can see exactly what this guy's trying to do, and I can see that we're, you know, we're we're, we're getting, you know, we're not maybe not getting the breaks, but the, you know, the XG differentials kind of rising. Everything looked to be okay performance-wise, not everything, but it looked to be heading in the right direction, and sure enough. It, it, I'm sitting here in December, six months into Rogers' term, and, and like you say, I don't, I don't honestly see. So when I look at a game, right? Well, I watch a game. Um, there's a number of things I'm trying to to think about. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at basic shape, and, and shape really is something that's more important without the ball and with the ball. But let's take without the ball first. So you're looking at, you know, how deep are the opposition? Where where are they parked? On the pitch? How, how how much spaces are between their lines? How compact are they, sort of vertically and horizontally? Are they going man to man? Is it all over the pitch, or is it one or two players? What they, what are they trying to do? Is it the question? And then you can sort of Celtic, you go, okay, well, what are they trying to do with the ball, right? And and with Ange, you know, it was, it it, it was it was to play at a certain. Well, let me, yeah, I'm going to mention the word speed, but I just want to before I get into that. There's a few again tropes that get thrown around. The, the players, you know, we're, we're more kind of, you know, listen. The, the facts are, we, we play about, we play a higher line than we did last season, right? So the defensive line is about a meter, it's nearly two meters further up the pitch. So we're squeezing the game more. I don't have any evidence that the speed of play is any less than what it was under Ange, right? That, that, and, and people can contradict that and say, yeah, but my eyes tell me, well, I think you're looking at outcomes, right? The actual measured speed of play is no slower than it was last season. But where, where I think perception comes in, obviously, is in if things are less accurate or if things are not working out, 
then you attribute it to something, as we've talked about. So, as I say, when we saw when we watched Ange play, we saw that the um, fullbacks were inverting. We saw that the number eights um, were pushing right on into the box. We saw that they were trying to get out out wide to make um, overlaps and 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 to, to overpower the 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 opposition in, in in the wide areas. We could see that we were trying to get people in on the ball in the box and to play a little from crosses into the box for, for the strikers. We saw all that, and, and it was executed very, very consistently. I don't honestly know what we're trying to do. I really don't. Um, and, and what we are trying to do, I don't necessarily agree, is the best use of resources. What I see is that we're, tr- actually, we're tr- actually trying to hit Kyogo earlier. We're playing a phenomenal number of more of more long balls. We're actually trying to be quicker and more direct. Is the ironic thing, and we're actually trying to hit Kyogo earlier, but that's a really difficult thing to do, right? You know, me banging a six-yard, you know, diagonal in, across the six-yard box is a lot easier than trying to hit a fifty-yarder onto onto little Kyogo's, um, you know, tuppenny bit on his on his right boot, right? That's a really tricky skill. There's more of that, and then the thing with Rogers seems to be especially the wide players, is he wants them to get the ball and then it's up to them to do something with it, right? There's no, there's hardly any um, fullback support. There's hardly any midfielder support. The idea is to get the, the wingers one-to-one and then they have to do something with it. Well, as I've said every week this season, at the moment that is the weakest part of our team. The most chronically you know, low-quality part of our team at the moment is the wing position. So expecting these guys to magically... Uh, turn into one-on-one monsters and then get quality crosses into the box. And then that's the other thing. When the wingers do um, get a yard or, or get beyond the full-back, we're, we're, we're banging crosses into the box. We seem to be trying to get as many crosses. We didn't play like that under Ange. We got the ball into wide areas. We, we got the ball into wide areas relatively close to goal, in the box even preferably, and we played balls to where we expected Kyogo to be. Again, I keep making the distinction between a pass and a cross, right? And we've tried to pass the ball across the box. We're now just banging aimless balls into the box for, for you know, for Mikey Johnson and Kyogo to win headers. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So I don't, I, so I don't really see that is on Rogers. All of that is on Rogers because in six months, th- that that hasn't got any more cohesive. So you know, we can get on to the other issues in the club, but you know, relying on your wide players to be creative when your wide players is where the where the most significant talent shortage is, to me, is fundamentally misguided, as is, you know, banging long So, and if I could jump in here. Could, yeah, go ahead. So I think that um, we dealt with that sometimes under Ange, meaning that there were periods when, uh, you know, Duranovic would whip in 20 long, you know, uh, early crosses, at, at Livingston early in the tenure, right? So I think his first season, we saw more of that from Ange is when, when we, we would struggle to break down low blocks because, again, that's inherently hard even when you're playing Ange ball. Um, so we would default back to this kind of early cross um, at, at times. But it, I agree with Al, like it's become more prevalent. I think the fundamental issue here, I, I, I think that there, there's probably a plan I don't think that the plan is well aligned with the people that we have. So as Alan was saying, is if you're reliant on your, your wingers to be creative and you don't have wingers that are creative, that's a fundamental problem. Um, and, but the flip side of this, you know, we're all 
and, and the last week I think is a, is a great microcosm of this kind of, um, you know, duality, shall we say, is, is the, the Kilmarnock game and yesterday were terrible. Um, and we did okay. We actually did pretty good at, against fine word. And I think the fundamental difference is that, uh, Ange's system was about not only these overloads and the patterns of play and the movement uh, and the style of passing, like Alan is saying, but the vulnerability that inherently creates when you lose possession. And this goes back to the difference between domestic versus Europe, is that when you have you know the left-sided attacking eight also on the right side and McGregor's pushing forward and they're all interweaving with each other in this when it comes off, it looks absolutely amazingly brilliant. And you've got midfielders running into the box and interchanging with inverted fullbacks and the winger cutting in. All this, It's beautiful, creates all these chances, but God help us when it gets turned over, <laughs> right? And that's what we saw against Real Madrid and RB Leipzig. Like it, it's almost, it, it's a fast break to use a, you know, I'm, I'm hashtag patented on Huddle Breakdown, my cross-sport uh, analogies. It's like a fast break. It's like watching the 1980s uh, Los Angeles Lakers under with Magic Johnson, right? It's just a, a, a jailbreak going the other way. And if you look at what's happened, and, and this is, again, this is evident within the data. This is not just like uh, uh, an abstraction, is uh, teams are not countering against us as well. Um, that's why I think we were more defensively resilient in Europe. Like our campaign objectively this season particularly when we were 11 v 11, which was a major problem <laughs> uh, because we went through two games, uh, at least one man down for material periods and two in the first final game is we actually competed better this season. I would argue with a significantly worse off squad. And I think just as I think there's um, uh, attribution to go to Rogers, because I, I, if I'm going to be critical of Rogers, I don't think he's been, as I would call it radical in addressing some of these issues, uh, we've kind of been playing Ange ball light. Um, and I don't think he's tried to do some other things in, domestically in order to address some of these problems because of the switch. So I, I think the big switch is one of not being as radical in the movement and players being out of position, which again, domestically, we don't pay for because when you turn the ball over deep to hearts, for them to break on you, eh, you know, are they going to make those six passes or three passes or have the speed in midfield or the winger play where they're going to take the ball up the pitch, you know, in two seconds, 80 yards like Real Madrid? Well, of course not. Um, and when you, when you turn the ball over against Motherwell or St. Mirren, it's even worse because, the again, mm. the level of player just isn't there. Um so I, that's my criticism of, of Rodgers, that I don't think he's been um, on the front foot enough. He's been trying it, I think, with tweaking things. Like, that's one criticism is uh, we don't have a settled midfield. Well, quite frankly, none of the players are good enough <laughs> uh, within the system to have been settled. So he's kind of been chopping and changing and trying to go matchups and act type of thing, which, again, I think is reasonable. But he hasn't been doing that as far as system and shape. And I think that that's where my criticism would be. It's like, okay, maybe it's time because um, until we, you know, we can wait for the window, we can wait for some of these players to get back, which probably mm -hmm. will improve it some, but I don't think it's going to address the inherent problem uh, unless we get materially upgraded 
creativity at the wing position. And that's not about it either, by the way. You know, he's not going to be a holy grail, just like Maeda isn't. Um, these are not wingers that are inherently creative like Jota. They're more system-driven uh, producers. Well, and very good and very good at it within Ange's system. Sorry, but, it was, I was going to say it was, it was hilarious yesterday that people, a large number of fans, seem to have forgotten that Maeda is really bad on the ball. I was like, "Oh, Maeda's coming on. We're taking Johnson off. Hey." <laughs> if you're playing him as a as a one on one winger with no support, and his job is to be a fullback, you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, have well, you, have you forgotten? <laughs> well, this is probably where this is what we we've spoken about this like the last year and a half or so uh, under Ange. It's probably where we disagree the most in that uh, the way that Ange approached Europe, it seemed naive. But his whole idea around it was, well, we can't progress the system without trying it against the best opposition. And yes, they got absolutely demolished for it. But his like his whole idea around that was that, well, if we change for one competition, then like that kind of throws the progress of the league out the window. Whereas I think you're right, James. It's like Brendan Rodgers have, has been trying to change the system for Europe. And it's just not suited to Scottish football when there's 10 men behind the ball because that's not what we're coming up against. Um, and look, there is factors behind it. There is the quality issues. I, I think everyone, that's sort of this, it's already, it's the thing that doesn't need to be said when you're talking about Celtic. I don't think you need to continuously harp on about the quality of the player because I think everyone realizes that is an issue. Uh, but I think the system is not getting the best out of the current players that we have. Um, and just to address some of the comments, because lo- loads of people are talking about the passing, that's something that I asked you to do a little bit of homework on, uh, Alan, because it does seem like Celtic are much more sloppy in possession. So you sent on a few stats that uh, this league, this year's league, averaging 68% possession versus 70 last year, and misplaced passes are at about 98 per game this year versus 90 last year. So only about eight misplaced passes, but that's actually quite a significant number. Um of misplaced passes, but I think the important aspect of where those passes are being misplaced, just it's it always seems to be when you're trying to build momentum and they they give a sloppy pass. But th- I think the the key issue that I have is in the final third is that how did Celtic get into the positions last year whereby they could pass the ball across the six yard box or cut it back to Kyogo or Matt O'Reilly who'd be running onto it, and that is sort of those line-breaking runs from the wingers or the the midfielders doing an overlap and giving the wingers an option to pass it to them going into the box, or it's the underlapping uh, of the the fullbacks and giving another option that way. It just, for me, it's have to get to the, get the ball up to Palma and Greg Taylor's not overlapping and he's not underlapping. It generally goes back to, McGregor, it went back to Scales a couple of times where Scales had the ball outside of the, the box and people were almost expecting Scales to do something with it. And he's like, that's your, that's your fucking centre-back. Like, why are you expecting him to be the one that is making the line-breaking pass? It should be McGregor on the ball there or a number eight. I think if you're looking at where Celtic need to upgrade, I think we're adding another number eight onto that where we've already added a new goalkeeper, a new left-back probably another striker, another few wingers. And I now think you're adding another quality eight because if Hatate is going to be significantly injured for the entire season, 
then you need someone to replace him. And David Turnbull has not done that this season. You need someone that's going to be able to control the ball, but also be creative enough to make those line-breaking passes. And I'm, I'm getting worried, Alan, that we are back to square one. That's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. I'm like, are we back to two years ago where we just need a complete rebuild again? And that, that's not a sustainable model for any club. I, I'm pretty settled that, um, you know, I know you, you said the, the quality doesn't need saying. I mean, this is, I think when, when Rogers been talking about mentality and he's, he's oh, in my opinion, he, he's just finding different ways to say the players aren't of sufficient quality. Cal McGregor said that. People, people kind of maybe not, not latched onto this. Yeah. Cal McGregor said yeah. that. That's pretty concerning, right? So, so it is, you know, I don't care how you attribute it, choose a percentage. Um, but between, you know, lack of coherence in the system, which is, I would say, 100% on, on Rodgers, and the lack of quality in the squad, which I think is a little bit on Rodgers, but mainly uh, elsewhere, if you don't have the quality and you don't have the cohesion, you, you, you're, you're really going to be a poor football team, okay? So I don't see anything changing. I, I honestly don't see anything I've got no evidence that this is going to change. Because as James has said, you know, and very, very, very correctly, in my view, is that Rogers made a big thing about Europe, and, and, and I think he improved Celtic hugely in Europe, and we managed to get an extra point. And that's not to 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 criticise Rogers; it's to illustrate how bloody hard it is to make any progress at that level. But I think he, I think he made a good fist of it, and you know, a lot of things like sendings off didn't go our way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As you said. I agree with James that you know that that style of play doesn't doesn't transmit as well to to Scottish football, unfortunately, or to this league, etc. So, um, you know, I think we are. I think we are. I think we are almost back to. I mean, the difference is then we had. I, I'd argue, and you know, an even better set of players, but unfortunately, the better ones probably all wanted away. Um, we've got a really, really huge number of. Players I don't believe are, are off the standard. That I don't care what system you play, I don't think they're going to be good enough for Celtic. Sadly, um, but we need. I do think we need to find try and find a style of play and a system that at least, at least gives us a better chance. Uh, and and and, that, and I say that is what Rogers that is Rogers working with what he's got. Nothing's going to radically change in January, right? You know, it mm. is a crap time to buy players. Really good players aren't necessarily going to move in January because they're probably important to the teams that they uh, they're playing for, and it's just you know it's just not a good time to do business. So, um, you know, I, th- I think I think we're in real trouble here. I really do. Yeah. What what, what one of the things I, I talk about incessantly for people that aren't uh, viewers of our show is ben- benchmarking uh, within the the context of an analytical framework. And if you look at how we've been performing so far this season. Because again, I think this puts into context how do you attribute. So if if we're in a collective agreement, and I, I would argue probably most of the fan base is reasonably in agreement that the talent level is insufficient, and and certainly down from where it has been. And, and the net impact of that's even worse because of injuries, um, meaning that we're missing some of our, you know, most important players and most talented players. Uh, is that if you look at things like XG and XG differential, and we're 18 games into the season. So this is, you know, significant amount of games. Now this is not a, a really small sample size problem is that we're actually very similar to the first 18 games of the 10 in a row season. Right. But again, I think that's a misnomer is that 
that didn't really start to fall apart until right around this time badly. A lot of the worst part of that autumn was in Europe when we were getting crushed by Prague uh, in, in Europa League. So the league performances actually outside of the loss to Rangers were just starting to unravel. And then actually we're very much comparable to the 1819 season. And I, I shared something on Twitter yesterday, and I'll, I'll, I'll amend that. So if you look at the, 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 the last game before we lost to Rangers <clears throat> in the 10-in-a-row season in October, <clears throat> right, and you look at the starting 11 that game, you had Christopher Iyer, Shane Duffy, El Hamed, Greg Taylor, David Turnbull, Callum McGregor, Olivier Incham, Jeremy Frimpog, uh, Edouard, and El Unissi. Look at the names in that side where some of them are playing now, okay? The level at which they're competing, just their athleticism, their physical profile. Now, again, there was an issue going on there about people wanting to get away. People were mm -hmm. living in, in lockdown. It was in the pandemic. It was, you know, there were a lot of externalities here. But just from a pure talent perspective, I would argue that side is like light years beyond where we are right now relative to talent and, and physicality and athleticism. And if you go back to the 18th game in the 18-19 season, guess who started at striker and, uh, on, in that game? It was uh, against Dundee on December 22nd, 2018. It was a 3-0 win at home against Dundee. Guess who, who played 77 minutes at striker that day? I can't remember yesterday. Never mind that. Mikey Johnston. <laughs> Mikey Johnston. <laughs> and guess who subbed? Oh, wait. I remember that game. I do remember it now. I so remember do you rem talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you remember who replaced him as the substitute striker? Who? Johnny Hayes. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. The starting 11 were uh, Izagiri, Benkovic, Simonovic, and Tony Ralston with a midfield of McGregor, and Cham and Rogic with Scott Sinclair, which by that time was not the Scott Sinclair that we uh, enjoyed in the the uh, Invincible season with James Forrest on the right wing. So talent is really important. <laughs> the quality of the players is really important. How do you attribute between that team from 1819 and 2021? How much of it is talent levels? How much of it is manager strategy? And, and again, I would say, I don't think there's an inherent problem with Roger's system. I think there's a problem with the players that he has available with some of the challenges that we have domestically at this point. Um, and will that be alleviated somewhat with some, a return of Hatate and Abada? Maybe on the margins. I'm not sure until we get a significant overhaul of the squad. And again, this goes back to risk, as Alan's saying, like, recruitment and what's who's doing that and the quality um so th that rebuild and and this goes back to the criticism that we've had on the show and certainly mine on the manager as god model and the inherent friction and cost of transitioning from one style of play to a new style of play and we've seen it now with you know with with this transition from Ange to rogers and you can get into semantics about who's an elite manager and all this other stuff. What we need and any club needs in the modern era, if you're going to transition in material shifts in style of play within a short period of time, like two, three months, is an elite recruitment team and an elite amount of resources in order to facilitate that friction. 
because there's no way you're going to be able to optimize your recruitment by switching every time you have a new manager. There are going to be players that suited the system and the style of play that no longer do. And if if you optimize for the one manager and a new one comes in, like I would say, at least on the margin we did with Ange, and I think Alan's point was 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 important, meaning that it was probably a lot to do with Ange and his, his agent um, in bringing certain players in. Like, I just don't know how Maeda fits in Roger's system. Like, he, he's got very specific qualities as an elite footballer in certain ways, and in other ways, he's just an absolute, you know, uh, mess. So how mm-hmm. do you extract that? How, is there a way for him to be productive within Roger's system? I, you know, so that, that kind of friction, I, I call it, um, is a big issue. And, and that that's where on our show last spring we talked about, would it be better to bring in Kevin Muscat to continue Ange Ball, maybe domestically, but we with the squad that we had in the recruitment we had this summer, we might have lost a game ten nothing in the Champions League playing that style of play with these players this past season, this this Champions League campaign. Uh, I mean, it could have been an absolute train wreck in my view. <laughs> so, how would that go down? You know, if we if we would have gotten if we would have uh, eclipsed Rangers records from last season for champions league futility <laughs> but right now we were up five points in the league what would the mood amongst the support be <laughs> you know yeah. i mean that's that's like the duality here that we're dealing with we're coming to the end of the hour so i realize this is going to be a shorter than um necessary conversation about the recruitment and the board level here alan but i mean let, let's take so everyone loves to throw the 70 million in the bank conversation out there. Uh, we're sitting on a gold mine. We're not spending any money. We're, you know, the say apparently we want to be at the same le- level of Rangers and it's all a grand conspiracy and all that. L- let's take the two English sides who got knocked out of the Champions League this season, bottom of their group, Manchester United and Newcastle United. Newcastle are doing fine in the English League. They've got loads of injuries. Manchester United, the best example to point to of money wasted. So the question that I'm going to throw to you before we finish up is, we have 70 million in the bank. That's all well and good, but we would be better off spending that significant chunk of that rebuilding the scouting system in Celtic, hiring proper guys, then spending 20 million on players. Because in the long term, that's what's going to matter. Yeah, I mean, listen, of that, of whatever it is, is is in the bank. Um, a, a big chunk of it is earmarked, and you know, for for the Barrowfield redevelopment, and a chunk of it will be needed for operational costs towards the end of the season when the ticket money, uh, you know, is is used up as as is normal with with all clubs. So it isn't it isn't that isn't that that won't be the number, and it isn't the number. But I agree with what you're saying um, because, you know, as James says, you know, we can't afford the best footballers in the world. But there's no reason why we can't have a best-in-class recruitment team. That doesn't, you know, it, to get a best-in-class recruitment team, we cost significantly less than than some, you know, probably one really good footballer. So, um, I, I, and, and, and that actually holds that argument holds true for all of the football operations departments, whether it's you know medicine, science, sports science, etc. Et so, 
And this is what I've been saying for years. So I, I agree with you. I would not give the current recruitment and scouting uh, team any of the money that sat in that bank. I just wouldn't do it. Because, you know, the performance has been that dire that I, I have got no confidence that, that anything good would come of it and we just waste the money. So I think we're left with, you know, will that happen? I don't know. Uh, you know, everything at Celtic happens very slowly. And, uh, you know, blaming people is not something which which seems to go on. It's, it's a very, um, you know, a glacial, slow and uh, environment lacking in fresh ideas and energy as, as well, you know, I think is, is a common common refrain. So I don't have much confidence that is going to happen. So it's either Rodgers, you know, magics up a way of playing using the current uh, talent that we have uh, to be better in Scotland because all these issues that James talks about, about, you know, competing in Europe, it's going to be moot <laughs> if we carry on like this because we ain't going to get the chance to show it. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I, back to the quality, I think... You saw in Matt O'Reilly's face a couple of times yesterday as well that he was just like, "What the fuck are you doing to some of these players?" Like <laughs> he was getting properly frustrated when uh, people were making the wrong moves and misplacing passes and stuff. So yeah, I I'm with you. I I think it's it's hilarious who actually said this because of what he turned out to be. But uh, the former head of the FEI, John Delaney. Uh, he, uh, the disgraced former head of the FAI, John Delaney, uh, he once said, you don't start building the house from the chimney down. You start building from the foundations. And I think that's that's probably where I, what I would say with Celtic is that, yeah, like you're saying, if, even, if, even if we did have 70 million in the bank, we spent 20 this year, look where that got us. So, you know, it's all about the people who are finding these talents, finding the players uh, as opposed to the amount of money that we spend on these players because you can get cheap players that are really good if you look hard enough and you have the right people there and the right connections but you can spend a lot of money as was the case a couple of years ago and end up with pure duds like Alvin Ejeti playing who uh, cost 5 million or 4.5 million at the time so I mean that's where we're at with the uh, the club right now. I think that's where we will end the show um, for today. Thanks to uh, Celtic State of Mind and PJ for asking us to do so. Now, this is a charity weekender, so uh, do get involved with the uh, GoFundMe that is in the, the link below. Jamie Cherney, it's a really worthy cause. There's a huge amount of money already raised, 52000 on his GoFundMe um, for a little guy who has uh, a muscular dystrophia. So a really worthy cause to get involved with and uh, make sure to get involved with that with the uh, comments below and uh, keep the keep the stream going over the next couple of hours on a Celtic City Mind. We have been the Huddle Breakdown. Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. And yep. thank you to Juco James as well. Go Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast Network.